Welcome to Practical Christian Living. He recognized that this man was paralyzed, but had a greater need. And the greater need for a paralyzed man is to have his sins forgiven. That tells us that the greatest need that we have is that our sins would be forgiven. Our biggest need in this life as children of God is to be spiritually healthy, spiritually ready for Christ's return. We are in our series, Jesus Appointments, and today we see the great faith of friends result in the spiritual and physical healing of a paralytic. It is one of the most touching stories of healing we see in the Bible. Please stay with us for Mark 2, 1 through 12. Here's Robert Furrow. You can open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. Well, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 12 in our study today. We are in the middle of a series now called Jesus Appointments. And we're taking a look at people in the Bible that Jesus met with, that he uh, had different times of meeting together with them. We started with his appointment with John the Baptist, then we looked at Jesus and the devil, and then we looked at Jesus and his appointment with Peter as uh, he did that supernatural miracle of the great uh, catch of fish uh, over this last week. And uh, we saw that Jesus said, let down your nets for a catch. And then that Peter said, well, I, I, I've been fishing all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down a net. He didn't even really in complete faith and obedience follow after Jesus. And he caught so many fish that the boat was sinking. And it makes us think, if we really say, Lord, when you speak it, I'll do it. I want to do what you want me to do. I wonder how much we can really do, how much we'll really see God do, or how often we're like Peter. Jesus said, let down the nets. And we're like, here's one. I'll give you one net. You said to let down the nets. I, I really believe that God can do some awesome and great things. Uh, we're looking at the appointment that Jesus had with the paralytic. And uh, we'll pray. And uh, with your Bibles open to Mark. I said, uh, did I say Matthew? We'll open it up to Mark. You guys are looking. It's not right. It's not right here, don't you know? That's my Minnesota accent, by the way. Mark chapter 2. Let's pray. And uh, we'll get after it. Father, we're so blessed by your word. We are thankful for being able to gather together here uh, after a couple of months of not being able to gather together at all, to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to put our focus on you, that we can gather through the, the different platforms that we have to be able for our, our live campus. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would do a work, that as we take a look at you meeting with this man that had such a great need that we would examine our lives and where we are right now. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is A Paralytic's Appointment with Jesus. It's a dramatic healing of a man who was paralyzed. It would be bad to be paralyzed in our day. You can imagine how much worse it would have been to be paralyzed in their day. And there's a surprising lesson that comes from this healing. This is one of the early healings of Jesus. It's within the first few months of his ministry. He makes his way back to his headquarters, which is Capernaum, and he begins to minister there. There's something going on deeper inside of this study than just a man that has, inside of this is healing, besides just a man that has a need and then Jesus meeting that need. 
And it gives us, because it's one of the earlier healings, it gives us some insight into other healings. That as you look at the healings, that there's not only the healing that is taking place, but there are some other things that are happening, that God is using them to teach us some other things. Healings were a sign of the Messiah. We were foretold in Isaiah 61, this is what, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison for those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When John was baptized and imprisoned, he had some doubts about whether or not Jesus was actually the Messiah, which I find just to be so interesting. So John's preaching about the coming of Jesus. He sees Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You baptize me instead. And finally, Jesus convinces him to baptize him. And then he baptizes him and the heavens open up and a voice says, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. A dove descends on him and remains, which was the sign that John had been given that that was going to be the Messiah when the dove would descend and remain upon him. And, uh, and, and still when John is imprisoned and it couldn't have been easy, it, it must've been something different than what he expected. He sends his disciples to Jesus and asks him, are you the one or should we look for another? I think about our expectations of God and I think about John the Baptist and his expectation of what, uh, of what God was going to do. And it was so radically different with him in prison. And so he sends him and, and here's what he asks. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because uh, Jesus talks about his miracles in response to John the Baptist. In, verse, uh, in Luke 7, 20 through 23, it says, uh, when the men had come out, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And that very hour he could not, uh, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind, uh, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things that you have seen. The dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who was not offended by me. He said to John, go and tell him about the miracles and that the poor have the gospel preached to them, that John would make the connection to Isaiah 61 verses one and two and know that he was the Messiah. When you and I have doubts, the way that we answer those doubts is to bring them to God. John the Baptist had doubts and he brought them to Jesus. We bring our doubts to God. And the way that our doubts are answered is when we see the Old Testament prophecies, which are so phenomenal. But with this early uh, miracle in the, the ministry of Jesus, we see him as the Messiah. In verse one of Mark chapter two, it says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. The area of Capernaum is right by the Sea of Galilee. It's in the Galilee region, which is an out of the way place. It's an odd place for the Messiah to start his ministry. Again, it was foretold in the Old Testament. It was said that you, Galilee, you, Naphtali, you who live in darkness will have a bright light that will shine among you. He began it in the backwaters, literally the backwaters of Israel. Capernaum was such a small place. It's a place where Peter lived. And it's thought that this miracle took place in Peter's house. 
You can also visit Capernaum today and see the house that they believed in the fourth century was Peter's house. And there's a church that's built over it today. It says in verse 2, immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Notice the way that that said. It said he preached the word to them. It wasn't like he was just preaching, but he preached the word to them. There's an article in the Greek which tells us that he was bringing a very specific message to them, that this was something that he wanted them to know. Jesus brings us his word, and his word is extremely important and extremely important for us to be able to follow. And I love that they were crammed in that place that they could get no more people. They were not social distancing, not one bit. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic. Now look at the way verse 3 starts. And I love this, and it's a, little, it's a little striking when you read it. Then they came to him. That's how they are introduced. Then they came to him. I've seen a lot of different television shows uh, present this miracle. And I don't know if they ever really get it right. I, I think that when he says, and then they came to him, there's an entourage that brings this paralyzed man a little bit later, Jesus is going to call him son, which is a word for a younger man. So what we know about this paralyzed man is that he was younger. He was probably, well, it's possible that he was a wealthier man or maybe the son of a wealthy man. And this whole entourage comes bringing him. We know there was at least five of them, the paralyzed man and four men that were with him. But it says, and then they came. When you look at the people going up and beginning to tear the roof off of someone's house, if you were at your house and someone was there teaching and somebody started destroying your roof, you'd probably say, stop. I think it's possible that the they here are so significant that they were going to be able to do what they wanted to do. And then, uh, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could co not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, I, again, I've heard a lot of descriptions about how houses were built in those days. They were definitely built out of clay. They definitely used uh, palm branches and different kinds of things, thatching for roofs. There was different kinds of stuff that was done, but it could not have been really clean. Jesus is inside teaching. Everybody's crammed in there. And all of a sudden, these people start tearing this roof off. And again, the Greek word gives us some insight. The Greek word means to, to dig in. Literally, they dug in. Talk about a service distraction. We've had a few of them here. Years ago, during a message, somebody walked in, walked down the center aisle, walked over, and started punching someone that was sitting in the service. It was really hard to continue to preach after that experience, by the way. That might be one of the wildest ones that we ever had. We also had a couple in the back row making out. It was so distracting that I finally had to say, please, you guys in the back row, stop, stop. And then it was really hard to continue to preach after that. Everybody's like, well, that's so weird. That's really, and it, it was really weird. But can you imagine the roof just starting to fall in, all the dust that would fall down, it would begin to cover people. People would begin to try to get out of the way. And then the four people that have the four corners of this bed lower this paralyzed man to Jesus. 
I like to think that they brought him right down, right in front of Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, how you doing? Doing all right, how are you? They bring him down and they set him before Christ. So this has been like a major disturbance. And these guys have gone to a lot of work to be able to get this paralytic to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, now we go back to the they. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Notice that it wasn't the faith of the paralytic. It was the faith of the people that brought him. And notice that he didn't tell him, pick up your bed and walk, but he said, your sins are forgiven you. And, and this, at this point, it's good for us to consider how Jesus did miracles. If you think about it, Jesus never prayed for the sick. He, he never said to someone, Lord, I ask you to heal them. Jesus took authority over every sickness. He told blind people, he, he spit in the ground, put the mud in their eyes and told them to go wash out their eyes. He uh, took authority over, the, over Peter's uh, mother-in-law's fever and he cast it out. He just, he just took authority and, and sent the, the fever away. And he'll do the same thing with this paralyzed guy. But he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now I picture the they, we got some they there, right? They're up on the roof looking in and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And they're like, no. We didn't, we didn't bring him for that. We didn't bring him to have his sins forgiven. He's paralyzed. We didn't think we had to give an explanation when we lowered him through the roof as to what we were hoping that you would do for him. But what Jesus does in this moment is so significant for you and I. He recognized that this man was paralyzed but had a greater need. And the greater need for a paralyzed man is to have his sins forgiven. That tells us that the greatest need that we have is that our sins would be forgiven. We might consider ourselves to have a great need right now. There may be, may be some real difficulties that you're facing and going through, and you might be asking God for certain things, or have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked him to make things right between you and him? Because one of the things that we are shown from this incredible miracle, this incredible appointment with this paralyzed man is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And the greatest need that I have is that my sins would be forgiven. Because then that takes me into eternity. Whatever happens in this life, when this life is done, is done and it is behind me and I will go on into eternity with him. And no matter what hardships I faced here, no matter what difficulties I faced here, if my sins weren't forgiven, then I don't go on into eternity with him. And so by Jesus taking a paralyzed man who obviously needed to be healed from being paralyzed and in his to show that he is the Messiah, he is healing people, and to tell him that his sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart, why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And here's the thing. They're right. They're wrong, and they're right. They're wrong. Jesus is not speaking blasphemous words. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. If you sin against me, if you offend me, or I sin against you, you can forgive me. But you can't forgive me of sins I committed to someone else. It's only God that can wipe everything clean. It's only him who can forgive. And so they are right. There is a statement being made here. 
that Jesus is God. That was part of his point for forgiving their sins. Never do we see that anybody had the ability to just forgive someone's sins, but only God could do it. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. First of all, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And I don't know that I need to say it again, but Jesus knows exactly what's going on in our lives. He knows when we're pretending. He knows when we're not sincere. He knows when we're hypocritical. He knows whether or not we're serious about really serving him and following him. He knows every struggle that we go through. And so he says, which is easier to say? Now let's think about that. Which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or take up your bed and walk? He couldn't have been talking about how complicated it was to actually say those words because they're the same. You can say anything that you want to say. But which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Both of them are incredibly difficult. But a paralytic could be healed by God. But in order for Jesus to forgive sins, he's going to have to go to the cross. So that this paralyzed man is receiving salvation, forgiveness of sins, the same way that Abraham received it. Remember when Abraham told, when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son through Sarah and that it was going to be through that son, Isaac, that the nations of the world were going to be blessed? And the Bible says, and Abraham believed and it was accredited to him righteousness. God gave him credit for righteousness. And he's doing the same thing here. Which one is easier to say? They wouldn't have cried blasphemy if he had told them to, to pick up your bed and walk, but they cried blasphemy when he said, your sins are forgiven you. But then he says something very interesting. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. He just commanded him to pick up his bed and go to his house. And immediately upon that command was the power for that man to get up, that paralyzed man to get up. It's like when Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. Someone would say, that's a mean thing to say to a man with a withered hand. Except if with the command comes the power to be able to stretch out your hand. So Jesus says, so that you will know that I have the power to forgive sins, something invisible, pick up your bed and take it with you, something visible. They saw the miraculous take place in the visible so that they would know that God could do something that was miraculous, maybe even more miraculous, that was invisible, that our sins are forgiven. For, for all of us that have come to Christ and asked him to forgive our sins, that's such an incredible work that he's done. It's something that I hope from time to time you get struck with that incredible truth that God has pardoned you, that he has forgiven you, that he has forgiven me. So he did this very visible thing that he might be able to show them that he can do the invisible. Verse 10 again, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed. 
And they glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, I want to talk to you guys for a few minutes about the they. It, it, it says there early in the passage, Then they came, bringing a paralytic with them, four men carrying them. I, I want to talk about they and how that relates to us. Because Jesus said there, when he saw their faith, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. The first thing that they did for this paralyzed man was do something that he himself could not do. And I'm wondering if you might be able to be a they in the life of someone around you. Is there someone around you that is paralyzed spiritually, that would never go to church, that would never walk in these doors? There are people that think that if they walk into these doors that you know, the sun will stop shining, that they don't know what goes on here. But if you invite them to church, they're like, no, nope, nope, not going to do it. They just will not go in. Are you able to do what they cannot do? Meaning through prayer, can you bring that person before the Lord? They might not be able to come into church and sit down because they're paralyzed spiritually. They're paralyzed with fear of coming before God. Are you able to take a spiritually paralyzed person and bring them before God? That's what, that's what prayer is. That's what intercession is. When we are committed to pray for the people around us. I think about what I might be able to do for the people that are around me that I come into contact with. I think about how God has filled us with his Holy Spirit and how out of us gush torrents of living water and that God has sent you out into the world as light and salt. And it is no coincidence that you are interacting with the people that are around you. You could easily feel that way, but this is all organized and designed by God. It says in the book of Acts that God has put us in times and places. He put us in this time. He put us in this place. He put the people around us for us to be able to influence. And I encourage you to be praying for those people around you and to see what God would do. Do what they will not do and bring them before God. Bring them to Jesus. The second thing that I see that they did is that they did not give up. It might have been easy for them to show up at that house, to see all those crowds of people, to try to get in a little bit, and then to go, sorry, I guess you're just going to have to stay paralyzed. Maybe we can get to them later. But instead, they climbed up on the roof. You ever had somebody run across your roof? When I was a kid, we, 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 we crawled up onto, uh, 12 years old or so, we crawled up into an apartment complex and we ran across the top of the apartment, plon, com, the apartment complex. All the people came pouring out, uh, yelling at us and us trying to, to run away. When we were having a service at our West Campus years ago, some kids climbed up on top of the, 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 the roof and started running around on top. You'd have thought the whole place was coming down. They had to know it was going to cause a scene. But they didn't care. They weren't going to give up. Even though they ran into something that held them back, even though they weren't able to get in to see Jesus, they thought we are going to make our own way and we're going to continue. And I think of all of the stories that Jesus gives us about persevering, about making sure that we don't give up. We're told to ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking, and you will find and you will receive and the door will be open to you. Are you discouraged now? 
Are you discouraged in your prayers for maybe one of your children, maybe one of your grandchildren, maybe some of the people around you? Does it seem like your prayers haven't been answered? Listen, it's not done yet. You have to continue to move forward to find a way. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.